Let's open God's Word together this morning. Let's go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And as you're turning there, as we enter the month of May, it has been planting season for a little while now. Farmers finally able to get out in the fields um, with their equipment, and Lord willing, the temperatures will match the <laughs> match that that desired growth there. And for us home gardeners, plants are at the stores. Maybe our sprouts, we can finally bring them out. For planting and cultivating. And we take time, year after year, season after season, to plant gardens and fields. Why? Why do we do that? One word. One word. Fruit. Whether it's lush ears of corn, or lots of soybeans, or hardy tomatoes, we do it for fruit. We do it for fruit that, on a tree that bursts with delicious juice when you bite into it. That's so much better than the stuff that they ship to the big stores. Sure, we may also love the growing process. It's really cool to see something that you planted come out of the ground. But we love enjoying the fruit of our labor. We love seeing things come to fruition. There is joy in the growth of life as God intended it. So no one wants to go out to the garden or field and look for green only to discover blight. No one wants to come to the end of the season having carefully planted, carefully watered, carefully cultivated, and look under those tomato leaves and find nothing. There's no joy in that. Healthy things produce fruit. So then it, may, it should come as no surprise that the same God who designed, designed plants to produce fruit and produce crops to give us produce, he, this same God, has designed people to live and display the fruit of being alive. Are you alive then? According to God's definition of alive? And are you displaying the fruit of being alive? How do we know that? How do we know? How do we do that? For God is the best cultivator ever, and he expects every plant that he plants to grow and bear fruit. And there are grave consequences for not being alive and bearing fruit. How do we live then? That's what we hope to discover in our passage today. So if you have turned there, would you please stand with us as we read and listen to God's word this morning from John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 through verse 11. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You may have a seat. How do we live according to this passage? How do we bear fruit? How can our lives be pleasing to God and according to God's design? We should live, this passage says, we should live by abiding in Jesus. What are the implications of abiding in Jesus? What is abiding in Jesus? Well, each of the implications are going to tell us something about what it means to abide in Jesus. So let's look at the first. First, if we abide in Jesus, we're actually alive. Look at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. What does this passage say is actually true about someone who is actually alive, actually living? Well, first, someone who is actually alive is connected to the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Then look at verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This is the biggest truth about abiding. You must actually be connected to Jesus Christ, the true vine. You must actually be connected to him to bear fruit, to abide, to actually live And Christ makes no hesitation to warn of the state of branches that are not connected to him. They are taken away and they are burned. And I start here today because some of you think that because you have attended church today or say with your mouth that you are a Christian or prayed a prayer to let Jesus come in as an as-needed basis into your heart that such things make you so. But be warned. Jesus says that if anyone does not abide in him, that means to receive the totality of life from him by believing him. 
says that if anyone does not abide in him, his father, the vine dresser, is going to take you away from the grace of Jesus, along with every other branch that isn't connected to him, and is going to judge you as you already were and are. A dead branch that didn't bear any fruit. And a branch that isn't connected to him is this. Anyone who does not do, as he says down in verse 10, anyone who does not do what he commands and so abides in his love. Anyone who does not repent of their sin and change their mind of Jesus through trusting him is a dead branch. But Jesus says these things in verse 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So when we heed the warning, joy is promised. So we must actually be connected to the vine. Also, someone who is actually alive is given the gospel. That's the joy that he's talking about. Because he says in verse 3, in the midst of this, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Condemnation disconnected from the vine is not where God wants anyone to stay. God desires that all should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What must you do? You need to believe that God has actually done something for you. Someone who is actually alive is given the gospel. You need to see what he has already done. He tells his disciples here in verse 3 that they are clean because of the word that he had spoken to them. What does that mean? He has spoken. God is a loving God who speaks so that we would be saved. And Jesus, as the word of God in the flesh, has spoken, not just in words, but through his death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead. That is what he has done. You need to see that he has already, what he has already done. And second, you need to receive what he has already done by faith. You need to believe it that he really did do it. That he really did say what he said. And he, it's that simple and that hard to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who has spoken who has died to rescue you from your sins, from your lifelessness as a lifeless branch, who has died to rescue you from his Father's wrath against those sins, those branches being burned, and who has conquered death and reigns forevermore. Every branch that is brought to life and bears fruit does so because they were given the gospel. There is no gospelless Christian in the world. That doesn't, that doesn't exist. That is why our mission of making disciples is so very important. It's to get the gospel, the message of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he has said, into the hearing of every man, woman, and child on the planet. Wherever we can find them. So that they can be given the gift that we were given. And thirdly, someone who is actually alive 
not only is connected to the vine, but stays connected to the vine. He says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the, you are the branches. See, abiding is not just a matter of simply, at the initial first outset, being made clean by God through salvation. When we trusted him, when we first believed. This is living we're talking about. And living is a continual process. That's what we need to know about abiding. Abiding is continual. It's not a, just a one and done. And Grapes don't immediately burst from the vines as soon as the sun comes out or as soon as that water hits the soil. Living involves growing. It's a process. And if the process of living stops, what is it called? Dying. Death. But here, for those who have been given the gospel and made, been made clean by it, who have trusted it, our lives have only just begun. And our lives are meant to be continually lived in Jesus and with Jesus. Someone who is actually alive stays connected to the true vine. That's why we encourage reading the scriptures, praying to Him to continue to foster that relationship with Him. And third, Someone who is actually alive can please Jesus. They can please God. Because as he says again in verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you ever tried to live the Christian life, real life, on your own, trying to do good without talking to Jesus about it, without being in his word about it? How'd that go? How was that day or days? Was it full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that day when you tried to live the Christian life on your own strength? Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But with Him, that implies... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, Aaron, you might say, well, what about all those unbelievers out there? They're doing all sorts of good stuff. Well, the church just sits on her hands. Well, in one sense, that's a fair critique. Because oftentimes we get suckered into the idea that our abiding is... is actually self-seeking that it's all about just me and Jesus, nobody else. Where our relationship with the Lord stops with us as individuals when it's not meant to. Man, 
preaching to myself just as much as anybody. And we as a church should confess that kind of thing, that kind of living as sinful. And we should participate with him in what he's doing. And that's why one of the reasons we're studying this, to, to encourage that. But let me ask a question to this objection. Is it really true that unbelievers can do good things? Is it really true that when an unbeliever gives to a charitable organization, has a philanthropic hobby, that they are doing something truly good in God's economy? Well, what is a good thing according to Scripture? It's that which glorifies God and does so from a heart that seeks God's glory. So the answer simply is no. In God's world, the real world, those who reject the essence of goodness, God himself, cannot do good apart from him. No matter how nice and shiny it might seem on the outside. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags if we aren't connected to the vine. But abiding in Jesus, what we do, how we live, can please God because it's for Him and it's done by His life in us. We should live by abiding in Jesus. Well, what other implication is there to abiding in Jesus? And with all of these, there's some overlap. John has a wonderful ability to repeat stuff in a myriad of ways. This passage tells us what it is that pleases God. And he said it over and over and over again. It's called bearing fruit. Lots of it. So secondly, if we abide in Jesus... We're supposed to bear lots of fruit. This passage talks over and over again about abiding, resulting, and bearing fruit. Lots of fruit. Not just bear fruit, but bear much fruit. Bear more fruit. And what is this fruit? Let's lay that out. It's anything that displays the worthiness, the wonder, and the all-satisfying joy of Jesus. Who He truly is and what He has truly said and done. What makes that known in our lives is called is fruit. So what then does Jesus say is involved in bearing lots of fruit? First He says, oh, and this is everybody's favorite, bearing fruit requires pruning. Every branch that does bear fruit, he says in verse 2, he, God the Father, the vine dresser, prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Do you know what's involved in pruning? Usually scissors, shears, or maybe even a machete. Hacking. Anybody like that being done to you? Only hopefully give a good picture here. When the great Renaissance artist Michelangelo, hopefully you're familiar with him, guy who painted the Sistine Chapel, who sculpted some incredible works, 
particularly the huge statue, marble, full marble statue of David. When he was carving that statue called David, the story goes that he said he began with a block of marble and then removed whatever was not David. Did you get that? He, started with a, he said he started with a block of marble and then he removed anything that was not David. So in the same way, when God rescues us, we're new creatures, but guess what? We're designed to grow up. And in order for us to grow up as God's children, to be fruit-bearing branches in the vine of Christ, and to bear more fruit, God will lovingly and meticulously remove anything in us that is not Christ. And the best means of God's achieving this is pruning. I think most of us do not enjoy the prospect of getting to greater holiness, greater fruit-bearing, greater joy by going through trials and suffering and persecution. But what does Jesus say here in this passage to help us reframe the existence of all those things in our lives? And the promise that if we do abide in him, they will come. What does he say in this passage? We ought to find such things all the more reason to give praise to God. Because he loves us so much as to use every single circumstance. Every circumstance, even the ones that unbelievers would use to hate God. He uses those in our lives... The sorrows, the frustrations, what? Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Even pruning. Do you believe that? Even pruning. Bearing fruit requires pruning. Secondly, bearing more fruit requires the work of Jesus. Because he says again and again here, he doesn't just say, abide in me. He says, and I in you. And then verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him. And verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. It's always the second half. Abiding in Jesus is not just us continuing with Jesus as if it's up to us all the way through. It's like God saved us and now it's your turn, kid. No, that's not how the Christian life is meant to be lived. It's death if you try to live it that way. One of the great promises for us who truly believe in Jesus, who are truly Christ's, is that no, never, ultimately, we never cease to abide in Christ. Why? Because it's not just about us. It's not up to us. Jesus abides in you. How does he do this? Well, I would encourage you to read the context here. The surrounding passages 
But a quick summary. Remember where Jesus is going as he's teaching this. He is going to his death. Deliberately because of the plan of God. In full obedience, as he says here in verse 10. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. His going to his death is part of his abiding in his Father's love. And why is he doing that? For God so loved the world that they should be saved, that we should be saved. And because his sacrifice, as we see on the other side of the cross, because we see that his sacrifice was sufficient and acceptable to God, he rose again on the third day. Why? As the firstborn from the dead to justify all who believe in him, as the scripture says. The firstborn among many brothers, Hebrews puts it. And at his resurrection, he did two things. First, he is sent, and he talks about these in this context. He says, I am going to the Father. What does that mean? One of the things that means is that he ascended to the right hand of God. Why did he do that? Because that's where he belongs, exalted, ruling, and reigning. And while he's there, he also acts as our high priest, as Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, he always lives to make intercession for us. That's one thing that he, his resurrection did. And secondly, as he's, saying, he's also said in this passage, that in going to the Father, in rising and ascending, he is going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to be the spiritual presence of Christ in us. To fill us with his Spirit so that we would bear lots and lots and lots of fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul encouraged the Philippian church in Philippians 1 verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He has promised he will do it. Bearing more fruit requires the work of Jesus, and he is working. But let's also acknowledge the third. Bearing more fruit requires us living like Jesus is working. Because he doesn't just say, I am in you. I am abiding in you. My words are abiding in you. He says, abide in me. And then look at verse 9. He says, abide in my love. And here's the logic. If you keep my commandments, he says in verse 10, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here is something fascinating, and I'm not putting anybody on the spot for this, but we sometimes pray, or we can sometimes default to praying, Lord, please help us not get in the way. That's a good prayer, frankly, because it's, there's so many times where it's like we're trying to block the sap coming from, up from the, vine, the vine to the to the branch. But that can't be the only way we pray as though God, in order to bear fruit, wanted a limp, passive, fruit-bearing branch on his part or on our parts. See, that's where the vine and branch analogy breaks down a little bit. We're not, ju- we're not just passive branches in this. We're people made in the image of God. And for those who are saved, 
What does Ephesians 2 verse 10 say? We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That means we are active participants in the abiding in Jesus. We're active participants in the fruit bearing. Second Peter at the beginning of the in the first chapter says, if these qualities which he says you are to cultivate are in yours, they keep you from becoming ineffective. And just as we're not, not merely branches, but people empowered by the Spirit, made in the image of God, so Jesus is Almighty God in the flesh, not just the vine. And He is powerfully working to build, to build up His church. Let us live like He is working. Let us trust that He is working and do what He has called us to do. And maybe that is a struggle for you today. To trust that he is working to the degree that you get in the game of bearing fruit. Maybe you feel like you aren't bearing much fruit. Well, let me direct your attention to one verse we haven't covered yet, verse 7. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Did you hear that? That's amazing. Whatever I want? Yes. If you abide in Jesus and let the Bible, his word, abide in you. Ask whatever you want. I mean, literally, ask whatever you want. The question is, are you abiding and are you asking? Are you in God's Word so that God is using it to remove everything that is not Christ in you? That's how you can ask, and He promises to do it. Because Bible-saturated people ask God for the things that please God, that are according to His will. And of course, He's happy to answer yes to those things. And one of his desires and commitments, as he has said in this passage, is that every single one of his children bear lots of fruit. Have you asked him to bear lots of fruit through you? Have you asked him to make your joy to the max by pruning you for, his, for your joy? and his joy to be in you. It's a gutsy prayer. But remember who is encouraging you to ask. Christ himself, who as we started this service, who for the joy that was set before him endured what? The cross! So that he could bear lots and lots of fruit. Bearing more fruit requires us living like Jesus is working. We should live by abiding in Jesus. And finally, this passage teaches us that if we abide in Jesus, we glorify God. As he says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
This may seem like a moot question at this point, but we need to ask it. Why should we glorify God? Well, a couple things. We, glor- we should glorify God because we demonstrate who we really are when we do it. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 7, verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. In that passage, he was talking about false teachers and prophets, but the reverse is true. We are recognized by, as followers of Jesus by the fruit we bear, and the world has been given the right to evaluate our testimony based on the fruit that we bear. When we abide in Jesus, we bear much fruit. And we display to the world, we display to one another, even to the spiritual powers that Christ has defeated, that we are Jesus' disciples. Our real identity is in Jesus, not in anything else, not in who you once were. And our fruit shows it. And what does this passage say? That it glorifies God. And when Jesus' disciples are seen for who they truly are, God is glorified because it testifies that God's plan actually is working. It testifies that we are growing, that we are living and loving by the Holy Spirit just as He intended. And it testifies that we are loved by God. As Jesus says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Fruit in our lives, fruit in your life, is yet another confirmation that you are a child of God, a beloved child of God, even though you might still have many failings. A long way to go. You are a living branch in the true vine. Secondly, we should glorify God and bear fruit not just to demonstrate who we really are, because for who we really are, our identity now as believers in Jesus is 100% dependent on whose we are. We glorify God when we demonstrate whose we really are, and the same passage applies. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be whose disciples? My disciples. The world is very concerned that everyone know who they are. I mean, there's an entire plat there's more than one, but there's an entire platform. Let's TikTok. We'll give them an example. It exists, their mission statement says, quote, to inspire creativity and bring joy. So here's the question. What, what happens? when that kind of mission statement is separated from the life of Christ, from the Son of God. It turns into 15 seconds to one minute of everybody seeking their own glory. People saying, look at me! And the cool things I can do! When we are abiding in Jesus, 
We don't need or get to say that anymore. Whose are you, Christian? Are you seeking your own glory or the Lord of glory who has bought you, all of you, with a price? So that's where we can joyfully say, look at Him! Look at Him! And see how amazing He is! Because the 15 seconds they put on TikTok is not what the rest of their life looks like. When we are abiding in Christ, we are telling the story of whose priorities and desires we value most. When we are abiding in Christ, we are set up by God to do the very thing we were created to do as His image bearers. We were created to glorify God. That's what image bearing means. It means to reflect His glory, not our own. If we abide in Jesus, we glorify God. So we should live by abiding in Jesus. Because he says, I've spoken to you these things for your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full because of it. One last thing to mention. As you know, in vineyards... There are seasons. There are seasons for fruit. There are seasons for pruning. Psalm 1 says that the righteous person, the, like the vine, or the branch that is connected to Jesus, the true vine, that this person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. This may be a time in your life where you are bearing fruit like crazy. Praise God for it. But for some of you, fruit has maybe seemed like a long time in coming. Here's the question. As you wait for fruit to come, either from a dry season or as you wait as he cuts away all the stuff that's not bearing fruit in your life, are you going to abide in him? Are you going to keep living in Jesus, continuing faithfully with him, trusting his faithfulness to you, listening to him above other, all other voices, obeying him, loving him, and persevering with him for your joy. Because as Paul declares in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24, he says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And the do it part refers to him sanctifying you and completing his good work and bearing much fruit through you. We should live by abiding in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we look at this passage and we ask in faith, because we cannot do anything apart from you, that you will work in us and bear fruit through us. Lots of it. Lord, I pray, please change our desires so that we would want you to bear lots of fruit through us. Because that's pleasing to you. That's part of your will for your, your children. 
Father, please help us to obey your commandments and abide in your love and participate with you in what you're doing in our lives and in this world. Help us not to just sit on the sidelines hoping that more fruit will come by our sitting on our hands. Help us to ask you to seek your face. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here. I pray for us in total as a church. I think, Lord, maybe I'm misreading it, but I feel like we are right on the cusp of some pruning and potentially a lot of fruit bearing. I pray, Lord, that we would wait for you and listen to you and follow you and trust you and go with you and make disciples in your name, not in our own. Please help us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the kind of God who is able to answer every single one of those things and who is willing to. We submit all that we have heard to you And we ask that you would do your good work through your word and accomplish its purpose in our lives. Lord, we pray these things in your son's name, the true vine. Amen.